So we're in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to start reading at verse 14. You know, it's great to be in church, isn't it? You know, I, I think, you know, that's uh, such a privilege for us. You know, that we can come and gather freely and worship the Lord and uh, share together and uh, just be open in the word together and, uh, and find that, you know, it, it's the word that gives life to us. And uh, as we share together and rejoice and listen to what God has to say, we can just draw on what he wants to speak to us about this morning. So I want to read from verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Amen. Just a little passage today, really, just to try and unpack these verse uh, as we come into the presence of God. You know, um, Hebrews is an amazing book. You know, I, I think, you know, it's good for you to read Hebrews regularly and just try and understand. It gives such a big backdrop of, uh, of the scriptures, of how God is dealing with us, of how God had a plan and was working to a plan in the scriptures, working it all out and bringing us to a point of understanding it. And we see how he does that with uh, the people of Israel and uh, this plan for, for saving them and redeeming them and bringing them to himself and how that then comes to us as the people of God uh, called and set apart by him. It's just an amazing time to read it and understand it and, and know it. And um, uh, the Bible comes to us and just tries to give us here, here, here in this book of Hebrews, he gives us the image of this high priest, that, that Jesus was our high priest. And the high priest was someone who was uh, uh, nominated by God, chosen by God to stand before the people and to stand before God on behalf of the people. And it's this amazing image of someone who was there to, to, to take responsibility and to come before God on behalf of the people. And, and that's the image that they bring to help us understand who Jesus is. It says in Hebrews 5 verse 1, the next verse that we didn't read, every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. What a great understanding of what Jesus has done. See, again, it's important for us to understand, you know, that we come and we worship Jesus and we have a relationship with him, but it's because of what he has done. He has actually stood in heaven before God and said, I am the sacrifice for the sins of the world. Isn't that amazing? That means that each of us today have life because of Jesus, our high priest. And so we come and we are able to say, you know, we have this no guilt in life, no fear in death. Why? Because Jesus, our great high priest, has ascended before us. And, and so we have to understand our faith in terms of these kind of cosmic actions of Christ that have affected the earth and the heavens. It's a big picture. You know, we're not just uh, coming to church and kind of doing personal religion here. This is about a faith in a Jesus who's conquered the sins of the world, past and present and future. That means even the stuff that I haven't done wrong yet, Jesus has paid for how many of you need to say amen for that? Do you know what I mean? You do, don't you? It's even the stuff you haven't done wrong yet. 
That's why he died. That's why he gave himself. And so we come, and, and I, I just want us to pick up this little verse 16. That's my verse for the day. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we will receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. And uh, I want to talk, uh, just, just unpack that little verse today. It says, let us then. It says, in view of what's already happened, change how you're going to live in the future. Let, let us then. It says, listen, everything that I've written beforehand, that's all about you taking hold of this truth of who Jesus is and living differently. It is because of what Jesus has done for us that we can even think about coming to God. It's because of what Jesus has already achieved on the cross that we can even think about worshipping and our offerings being anything but dust to God. Hello? So we're able to bring him the praise of our hearts, the unfolding um, of our lives to God. Later in Hebrews he says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus through a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And that's why we come and we take these elements this morning, we take these emblems, the, the bread that speaks of the body of Jesus that was broken for us, the wine that speaks of the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. And what is the significance of that? Because in doing that, he opened a new and living way into heaven that we can enter into. That's the hope of the church. Church is not about being religious and trying to earn your way to heaven, friends. Because I don't know about you, but I can't do that. And I've been your pastor for a long time. None of you can either. All it is is about knowing that Jesus is a new and living way that gives us a way to come before God and to take hold of who he is. And so the Bible says, let let us then, I always have to move the stand, don't I? I mean, I always just kick it otherwise. Let us then come into his presence. He has made a way for us. He is our great high priest who stands before God on our behalf and offered himself to make that way. He is able to empathize with us. Don't you love that? Don't you like it that Jesus knows the struggles? We used to sing an old hymn, didn't we? Jesus knows all about our struggles. Nobody else did that. <laughs> my mother and my mum my mom and my stepdad have been up all weekend. I've been singing old hymns of them all weekend. Do you know what I mean? They all come back to me. Jesus knows. You know, we, we, he knows. He understands it. Friends, you think that your problems are worse than anybody else's. Jesus knows them. Jesus has struggled with the same things that you struggle with. Isn't that amazing? He, had to, he was tempted in every way. He was tempted to be jealous and angry, just like you are. He was tempted to reject people, just like you do. He was tempted to be unforgiving, but he fought it. He was tempted in every way as we are. That's what the Bible said. He overcame everyone. And so what a great high priest. When he went into heaven, he wasn't going and saying, well, I've made a way for this lot. He was saying, I've made a way for people who I understand fully. Because they've they're just like me. That's why he became a man. That's why he walked in a human body for 33 years. Because he took upon himself the limitations of our flesh. He knew what it was like to be tired. He knew what it was like to be angry. He knew what it was like to be weary. He understood those things. And so when we face him today, we come and say, well, does God understand me? The answer is yes, he does. Because he was just like you. Well, we'll find out about that as we go through. He dealt with them because he, he was able to respond to them in a different way to, to the way that we do. That's the hope of the gospel, that Jesus had a different attitude to us. That he understood things differently to us. 
And so he comes and he gives us this life and says, how, how can I take hold of you? He's gone before us into the heavens. That's why Jesus is our friend today. It's an amazing thing. He is the Lord of all the earth, but he calls us his friends. And so he comes to help us live. And we'll talk about that, how we do that with him. Now, because of that, the writer says, let us then approach the throne. Here's an amazing thing. Jesus has made it possible for us to come to God. But approaching the throne is something that we have to choose to do. Approaching Jesus is something that we have to do. And approaching him means that we have to come in a particular way. The Bible says that way is called faith. Let us then approach the throne of grace. You see, it's all right um, to, to uh, know that, you, uh, that Jesus is in heaven, but how do we approach him? How do we come to him? How do we approach God? And the Bible says that uh, we are encouraged to come boldly into the place where God is. I don't know about you, but it's, uh, it, it's, it's sometimes, you've ever been somewhere and it's, it, there's, you know, you're going around some national trust home and there's a section that's roped off. I always want to go in there, don't you? I think, I am paid to see all this. I want to go in there. I want to know, you can't get in, can you? There's always a big rope saying, no admittance, no admittance. And friends, that would, that's what it was like when you, when you see the throne of God in the Old Testament, when you understand God's dwelling place, it was like that. It was inaccessible. Listen to one description of, the, of God's presence. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were angels, each with six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy is the Lord. The whole earth is full of his glory, and at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Friends, totally inaccessible for us. But that's where Jesus has made a way, into the presence of God, through him. And therefore, the issue for us is not can we approach God, the issue for us is will we approach God? Let us then approach him, let us then come to him, let us then take hold of him. And Jesus has opened us uh, all the benefits of the throne room of God. And and what does that mean? Well, the throne of uh, grace, it speaks of three things. One, it speaks of the authority of the king. The throne is about the authority of the king. We come to a place of authority today. That as we approach God, there's authority in his rule. You see, when you come to the king, you have to come in his terms. Hello. You can't just turn up at Buckingham Palace and say, I've come to see, I've come to see Elizabeth. You have to have an invite. Well, the invite's been issued, friends. That's what Jesus did. But we still have to come under the authority of the king. We still have to come to him. The Bible says that we come to him with repentance for what we've done wrong and for an acknowledgement of who he is. We come with faith for what he has done for us. Repentance for what would bar us from his presence and faith to take us right before him and receive all he has for us. It's the throne room of God. It's the place of his authority. Secondly, it's the place of his power because the king is there himself and the king is powerful. The king can decide what happens and everything changes. That's the picture that we have here. It's not a constitutional monarch we're talking about. We're talking about a king with authority and power to say, this is going to change. And so when we come to the throne of God, we're coming to someone who has the power to set people free and to change lives. Hallelujah. Anybody had their life changed by the king? Come on, we know what it's like. 
We've had our lives turned around by the king. So therefore, when we come to the throne, we're coming to the power of God. We're coming to the one. And therefore, we come with different expectations. How many of you know when you get invited to the, to the king's house or the prime minister's house, you go with different expectations? You want something to change. And the Lord invites us into his presence today, the power of it. And thirdly, it's a place of character because the king of the kingdom is good. <laughs> the king of the kingdom is good and he loves to do good to any who will come to him. So there's this amazing image. Why should we approach the throne? One, because it's a place of authority and we can come to him. And we can receive power into our lives. And we can receive grace because he's good for us. And it takes faith to come. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. In other words, if we're going to come to God, we've got to come with faith. You know, when we worship God, we're not just singing songs. We're actually coming with faith. That's what worship's about. It's singing songs of, uh, of the praises of God, but actually it's also activating our spirit to say, Lord, as I sing this, in Christ alone, my hope is found. Friends, you can sing that as a ditty. In Christ alone, my hope is found. Or you can sing it with faith. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. That's how we come before the throne of the king. It's not a ditty, friends. It's not just a little tune to sing randomly. It's words to proclaim over your life because you have faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can sing in Christ alone and not please God with it. Hello? Because you're not singing it with faith. But when there's faith in your heart, friends, it doesn't matter. You know, I love the old hymns we've been singing this morning. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. I was singing that when I was one, 50 years old. But friends, you know what makes it alive? Because we sing it with faith. And faith comes out and we believe in who God is and what he's done for us. Without faith, it's, we will not approach him without faith. You know, it's a great picture of this in the Old Testament, in the book of Esther. Esther was chosen. She was a, 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 a Hebrew girl and she was taken to be a, a wife of one of the wives, many wives of the, of the king. And she was prepared and all kinds of things. And then the people came into trouble and uh, she had to go before the king. And, and to go before the king meant death if you were uninvited. Because you didn't just walk into the king's courtroom. And this is an amazing story when Esther said, I'll come before him. And she made herself look as beautiful as she could. Because that always helps, doesn't it, Johnny? And she found her way and she walked in and confronted the king. And it says, and when he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. And so Esther approached, approached, and touched the scepter. And the king asked, Listen to this. The king asked, what is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given you. Wow. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, she came to the place of the throne. And all of a sudden, the power and authority and character of the throne was released into her life. Because it's at the throne of God where the potential of the kingdom rests. I'm not talking about a physical throne. I'm talking about a spiritual dwelling place of God. And it's as we approach that with faith that the power of the kingdom starts to be released in our lives. Because we've come beyond ourselves. We've entered into the faith realm and we start to say, God, you can do something here. Lord, I come to approach you because I need you to change this situation and this circumstance. I need you to work it out in our lives. 
Bible says, come near to God and he will come near to you. The first thing this morning is, will you approach the Lord? Will you come with faith? Secondly is, come that you might receive mercy. The greatest need of mankind is to receive the mercy of God. It's the greatest need of mankind. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. It's everybody's greatest need here that we could come before God and not be treated as our sins deserve. That, that he would allow us to find mercy with him instead of judgment. Aren't you glad that mercy triumphs over judgment for you? And so we come and we receive mercy. We come to this throne room of God and the first thing that we bring always is our need for the mercy of God to be poured over our lives. That's when we come to the communion table. It says, let a man examine himself and then eat. Why? Because we need mercy of God for our lives. Because the Bible says all of us have fallen short of God's standard and need his mercy in our lives. But none of us are good enough. And the truth is, friends, we all know that really. We all know that we've fallen short of God. We all know that we've fallen short of our own ideals and standards. Never mind God. And so therefore the Bible tells us, approach to find and to receive mercy. It's mercy that sets people free. It's mercy that releases people from shame. It's mercy that restores us into relationship. And that's what Jesus came to bring into the world. 2 Corinthians 5.19 says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. Isn't that lovely? See, that's the hope of the Christian faith. Not Friends, you know, I, I sometimes wonder how we can misrepresent it so much. Friends, we're not here because we're better than anybody. We're here because we understand we need grace and mercy. We understand that without the mercy of God, we have nothing to give. You see, we all know it. If there's no mercy in a relationship, the relationship is finished after the first mistake. And that's happening in our world all over the place. In, in marital relationships, in partnerships, in business relationships, first mistake, that's it. The axe falls, no mercy. But we come to God because we need to receive mercy. We're driven to him. Sometimes we come kicking and screaming, but we know we need mercy that sets us free. Because we need God not to treat us as our sins deserve. Because we understand that our sin has, has destroyed our lives. And so we come before him. Mercy is the response of a loving person to someone who's failed them and who's fallen short of what they expected. And friends, that's why we all have to learn to give mercy because mercy isn't always naturally and easy to us, is it? And we have to learn and, 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 and have compassion. The Bible says in Psalm 103, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows who we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. And that's the confident expectation of the people of God. Let us come boldly that we might receive mercy. That, that's the joy of being a Christian. Is that when you look at your week and you think, Man alive, I've blown it this week. Anybody had a week like that? Anybody had a life like that? Lord, I've, I've had good intentions, Lord, but I haven't fulfilled them. We can come and we can come to God and say, God, please have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I have mercy on you. Your sins are forgiven. 
Your sins are forgiven because you've come to the throne of grace. Psalmist said, have mercy on me, O God, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. You see, mercy is not given because of what we do. It's given because of who he is. Mercy isn't given to you because of what uh, anything that, that you can achieve. It's given because of who he is and what he wants to do in your life and in your situation. And then finally he says to us, you can find grace. If mercy has not been treated in the way we deserve, finding grace is about being surprised by the goodness of God. It's not just being set free. It's being given somewhere to live. It's not just getting off the punishment. It's getting a reward. It's not just being released from shame. It's being given an identity to build you back into something. And that's the purpose of God for our lives together. Grace is God going further than he needs to for you. Grace is God, not just getting a sacrifice for our sins, but grace is God giving us a new relationship with him that actually keeps us alive and gives us the ability to come to him. And we see this principle in the parable of the prodigal son. The son who ran away from his home. He took everything that he was owed, everything that was his, and ran away and wasted it and spent it and did whatever he wanted to do. Wine, women, and song, the whole thing. Until he found himself living on the streets in a pigsty, feeding the pigs, just going, what has my life come to? And he says, I know I can go and ask my father to have mercy on me and to make me a servant in his household. And there's an amazing story of him coming back. And the Bible says the father saw him while he was still a long way off. His father saw him and came running towards him. See, grace is the attitude of God towards humanity. Jesus didn't just look at the world and condemn it. He looked at the world and ran towards it so that he could change people's lives. That's what grace is all about. It's an attitude that God comes. It says he ran to him. He was filled with compassion. And you know, this morning, my friend, wherever you are with God, the Lord is running to you. That's his grace. His attitude towards you is grace, not judgment. His attitude towards you is love, not condemnation. His attitude towards you is peace, not despair. If you can just receive grace from him. Grace is the attitude of God. Grace is the touch of God upon our lives. It says he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and embraced him. Isn't it amazing that God comes and he touches the world through his son? And you see that so often when Jesus would stretch out his hand to the leper and touch him physically and say, it's okay, be healed. You'd see it when he would speak to the people who were rejected in society, the prostitutes, the immoral people, and he would bridge the gap between them and embrace them because it's grace that is the touch of God upon our lives, that he comes to us. Grace is the restoration of God. He says, bring, but, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Grace restores where sin destroys all of a sudden, these, these, uh, uh, this young man who had been cut off from everything, they had taken everything that he, he, he deserved from his family, he had taken it already, but all of a sudden, he found that it was being restored to him. The best robe for his shoulders, a ring for his finger, the symbol of the family. 
and shoes for his feet. And God comes to us today who are far away from him and he restores us because grace brings us to him. Grace is the provision of God. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. What an amazing picture of grace. The Bible tells us that there's a rejoicing in heaven over every sinner who repents. That's grace, isn't it? See, mercy would just be, okay, let's not say too much about it. We've let him off it. You know, we all feel a bit like that, don't we? None of us really throw a party when we forgive someone, do we? I forgive you. Let's party. Everything's fine. It's usually, well, I'll show you mercy. I'll let you off. Don't do it again. But grace goes way beyond that. Grace is, man, my son who's wasted everything I gave him and he's rejected me, he's back, he's alive, let's rejoice. Man, don't you love that about God? You know, when you come in your weakest state to God, full of grief and shame because of stuff that has come into your life and has maybe broken your relationship with him and you come again to him, friends, what happens is the father goes, grace, and he runs to you. He puts his arm around you and he restores you and then he throws a party for you. I think we'll find that there's a lot of parties in heaven. There's a lot of rejoicing. A lot of people who are absolutely rejoicing because actually the grace of God permeates the place and he's able to bring life to us and in us. So the writer of Hebrews comes and he reminds us to approach the throne. To believe and draw close. To come close to him. To receive mercy. To find what we need at the throne of God. And to find grace. To discover all that God has for us. The abundance of his kingdom. As we come together. Amen. We're going to worship the Lord this morning. Come please. Worship team. We're going to come into the presence of God today. You know, if you're not a Christian here this morning, maybe you're far away from God today. Maybe you're seeking him and that's why you're here. Maybe you've just come today for whatever reason. I've tried as clearly as I know how to present to you the pathway for you to be saved. That Jesus has made a way that you can approach and that you can find mercy for your sin for the things you've done wrong, the things that you know about, maybe no one else does, but God knows. You can find mercy for them. He will not treat you as your sins deserve because of what Jesus has done. And more than that, you can find grace. You can find hope and abundance and life today. We're going to worship the Lord and we're going to come to communion in a few moments. We do this to declare what Jesus has done for us. To declare that he came for us so that we can approach the throne of grace. That he died for us that we might receive the mercy of God. And that he rose from the dead that we might find the grace of God in our lives. We're going to worship the Lord and then we're going to give people an opportunity to respond to him as we come to the table.